All right, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you say, Pastor Barton, I trust you? Okay, seven of you. Okay, so here's what I need. I need you men to take out your wallets. Ladies, look in your purse. I need a couple of you. I need one person who has a $5 bill to come up here, somebody with a $10 bill to come up here, somebody with a $20 bill to come up here. And if any of you have a 50 or a hundred, come up here and we will make sure you have an escort out of the service after uh, our worship Thursday. So if you've got that, come on down right now. I want to do something. I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to take your money. Okay. Thank you, Marilyn. All right. We've got people coming up. Just come on down. doesn't matter if we have the same thing. All right. All right. So ushers, if you would make yourself available to take an offering right now. Um, this isn't good for a pastor. Okay, so I want you guys to line up. What do we got? How, who's got, let's see, what do we got here? We got 20s, we got a 5, we got a 10, and then we got higher than a 20. Uh, ooh, all right, okay. Mike, Mike, what do you got there? He's got a 50. We got a 100. Okay, great, good. Okay, <laughs> good. All right, man, so good. All right. I didn't know anybody ever carried cash anymore. Okay. So I want you to look at the back of the currency there. What, what's the one thing that everybody notices on the back of the currency? In God, we, is, is it the same for everybody? In God we trust? Okay. And if anybody had any coins or carries coins, you would see the same thing. Okay. Now you can hand your money into me. No, you can. I, okay. Let's all give a hand. You guys can be seated. Everybody did great. I didn't take your money. All right. Good job. On our currency, everybody knows we have the saying, in God we trust. And I, I always, how many know that, I, I, how many of you like this, like, where did that come from? Like, why is that on our money? What, where did that come from? So I, I'm kind of a, I, I kind of geek out over history stuff. So I'd like to know where things came from and why do we do those certain things. And what I noticed, I, I read this article, it's called All About History Article. And I wanted to look at our, our nation's motto, In God We Trust, and where did that come from? And it is a very interesting story. And here's where that come from. One of the first found references of this very thing, In God We Trust, is actually heard in our national anthem. How many knew that? Good. Now, I didn't. It was a couple of you knew that, but it, it was first. It's, it's really found in our national anthem in the Star Spangled Banner, the song that was written by Francis Scott Key in 1814 and later adopted as our national an anthem. And in the last stanza, Key writes a variation of the phrase, and this is our motto. And it says this, And God is our trust, and the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Play ball, right? Okay, so that, that's a variation of the last stanza of our national anthem. The words were shortened to, in God we trust, and first applied to the U.S. coins in 1864. Now, how did that come about? How do we get there? Well, here's what's interesting. Because of the Civil War, there was an increased religious sympathy, and the U.S. Department of Treasury stated the motto, In God We Trust, and was, and was placed on the United States coin, coins largely because an increase of religious sediment existing during the Civil War. So from the Treasury Department records... It appears that the first such appeal came to a letter 
dated November 13th, 1861, and it was written to the Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon Chase, by a pastor, M.R. Walkinson. He was a minister in Ridleyville, Pennsylvania. And as a result, Secretary Chase instructed James Pollock, director of the Mint of Philadelphia, to prepare a motto in a letter dated November 20th, 1861. And here was the letter. The letter said, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God. A safe or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tearest words possible this national recognition. It was found that the act of Congress dated January 18th, 1837, prescribed the motto and devices that should be placed upon the coins of the United States. So Pollock suggested that These words, our trust is in God, or our God and our country, or and uh, God and our country, or God our trust, Chase picked, in God we trust, to be used on some of the government's coins. Now, the first time in God we trust appeared on our coins was 1864, uh, and it was also on the new two-cent coin. And by 1909, it was included on most other coins. And during the height of the Cold War on July 11th, 1955, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed public law 140, making it mandatory that all coinage and paper currency display this motto. Now, how many of us know that the words in God we trust are national motto, which is written on all our currency? How many know a motto can mean nothing more than the paper that it's written on. Many times you'll see a motto and say, what does that mean? Or people look at their money and not really care, not really know what it means. And it can really, you can have a statement, but many times it can mean nothing more than the paper that it's written on. We can hear it or read something over and over again, and it can mean nothing to us or actually take on no meaning. But for this pastor in 1861, it meant something because our nation was being ripped apart. The Civil War was literally ripping our nation apart. For those who fought for the independence of the United States of America, it meant something. For those who wanted this on our currency, it meant that it was something we shouldn't forget, something that should be in the forefront of our minds, something that we see. Because I mean, you know, we see money every day. We need money to live on, right? It it, it was something that needed to be on the forefront of our minds. And what I want to say to you today is throughout the Bible, we see God reminding his children never to forget that it was he who was leading them and protecting them. And so what I want us to see this morning, I want us to look at this in God we trust. And how do we practically do that every single day in our lives, especially when we're struggling or we lose faith or we go through some difficulty in our life? How can we say, God, in you, 
I trust. God throughout the Bible that we see in, in, in teaching his children, throughout the Bible, he tests them so that they will trust him. You see the children of Israel where God, God just brings them through, especially through the, uh, through, uh, the bondage of Egypt for 400 years. Then he brings them out through the plagues and then he, he takes them through the Red Sea. Then he leads them out into the desert. There's no food. There's no water. And then he provides them water and he provides them quail and he provides them manna from heaven. Each step they had to do what? They had to trust God, that God would be their provider. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God instructs Israel on how they are to lead their lives and lead their children. And it's one of the most important prayers in the Old Testament. And so what I want to do for you, and I, and, and I believe verse four and five, you could see this as their motto, just as we see our motto is in God, we trust for our country. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. This is so important. And here's how God instructs this young nation, as God is leading them, as God is, is leading them into this new land, this new promised land that he promised Abraham, he says this, here, O Israel. Now, the word here is, is so important because it's not just how many of you parents, you, you, tell your, you tell your children, hey, listen up, listen, right? And then they listen to you, and then they don't do what you tell them to do. That ever happened to any of you parents? Okay. You say, hey, listen, here, I want you to do this. I want you to take out the garbage. I want you to do the dish. I want you to do it. And then four hours later, they haven't done it. Now, are they really hearing? Did they listen? Did they get the instruction? But what aren't they doing? They're not following through. This word in the Hebrew, the word here, literally takes on the meaning of not just listening to something. How many, how many, <laughs> how many of you have a, a, a noise machine as you sleep, like white noise in the background to help you sleep. Just be honest with me. How many of you do that? I do. I have one. I am so hooked on it. And the reason why I got hooked on this background sound is because we went on a mission trip in Guatemala. My pastor friend Ray from South Carolina goes, do you mind if I put this white noise on in the background? I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. I go, that's going to drive me nuts. He goes, no, you'll love it. So he is my white noise provider. Um, he did it to me. So I blame, totally blame Ray. So now I got hooked at it. So then I got Kathleen hooked on it. And I got, it just, it's just, so you just fall asleep. You got this noise in the background. When God says here, it's not this white noise in the background where you hear it, but you do nothing about it. The word here, there literally takes on the meaning of do not only hearing, but obeying. So God says to Israel, listen, I want you to hear, but in order for this word to be fulfilled, you need to do. You need to follow through or that word takes on absolutely no meaning. So he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is what? One. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. What's God saying here? I never want you to forget my word. I never want you to forget my promises. I want them to be before you all the time. And maybe that's the reason why this pastor had this idea of making sure that we had in God we trust before us all the time that it was on our currency. Maybe that was his vision. Maybe that was his heartbeat. And so what we see here is we see the word, hear, O Israel. It's a statement of 
exclusivity. He's saying, trust me alone. You will have no other gods. And I love this because these verses would literally be fulfilled by many Jews through phylacteries. And what a phylactery is is basically this. They were boxes with the word of God on them that they would, that they were bound to their foreheads or their arms or attach them to the doorpost of their home. They would literally do this. God instructed them, instructed the parents to place them all around them so that they would never ever forget. See, verse four is called the Shema for the Hebrew word hear. Hear, O Israel. Don't ever forget these words that I'm instructing you. Tell them to your children. Read the word of God to your children. And so I would instruct that you parents too. continually read the word of God to your children. Pray with them before they go to bring, bring them to church, reiterate um, what we're doing at church. Always reiterate that at home. We're going to, we want to reiterate what you're doing at home with your children, bring them to VBS. You know, what I, what I love about VBS too, is like you learn all the kids learn these songs and then they're singing them like into Christmas time. So they're in the car and you know, when our kids were young, Oh, play the VBS. So you'd put it, you, you put the CD in and then by Christmas time, you're ready to jump out the window of your car because you're sick of the songs, but they're just, you're, 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 you're placing the word of God in their hearts and in their minds that they would never forget who God is. These are all things to help us to remember who God is. And so God never wanted them to forget to trust him for everything. So the question is, this, how do we trust God? So that, that's the question I want to tackle today is how do we trust God? So I'm going to give you a couple things here and how we can trust God and, and how we can recognize this and say to ourselves, do we really put our trust in God? Is my life is, is, is my life reflecting my trust in God? So let me give you a couple practical things here. Excited about taking communion today and uh, as, as a church family. And so let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, here's how we trust God. Recognize, first of all, your need for God. Recognize your need for God. I love Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for it says this. Here's what, what God speaks through Isaiah the prophet. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so basically what I'm saying is, God, I need you in my life not just a part of my life each and every day. You don't get a piece of the pie just on Sunday. And then, then the rest of the days of the week, I'm just living for myself. God says, I want everything. I want the whole pie. I want all of your life. I want you to trust me for everything. So how do I recognize God in my life? I recognize God in my life by saying, listen, God, you are the one who created me. You are the one who gives me life. You are the one who gives me gifts and talents. He is the one who gave us his son, who provided forgiveness for our sins and gives us eternal life. Everything flows from the father. He's the giver of life, the giver of gifts. And I recognize by giving to him, by giving him my time, by giving him my talents, the gifts that he's given, given me, and by giving him my treasures, the things he's blessed me with materially, I give those back. I use them for his glory and for his purposes. God, I recognize you in every area of my life that it comes from you. Let me use it for your glory. And so we need to recognize that I need to give up control to God. So if I'm going to really honor God in my life, 
If I'm going to put him first, and I've got to recognize that I have to give up control to God. And this is hard for us to do because many of us want to control our lives, control everything that happens. But how many know that you can't control tomorrow? We don't know what's going to happen. Literally, we don't know what's going to happen. And this step is hard. It's the control step. I don't have everything under control as I think I do. I've got to recognize that, that I don't have everything as under control as I think I do. God, I have to give that control to you. Because at the heart of control is really fear. The heart of control is fear. Because I think if I can control things, I will eliminate that fear in my heart. The fear of the unknown. The fear of how is this thing going to work out? How, how is this thing going to be provided for my life? How is this? And so what happens is fear is part of that control. But God says, I don't want you to have that fear. When you give control to me, fear dissipates. And, there, and God gives you a peace in your life to say, wait a minute, Barton, I'm in control. I'm not your co-pilot. I'm the pilot. There's nobody in the seat next to me here. You, you ain't got no controls over the, over the control panel here, Barton, as much as you think you are. How many of you are backseat drivers? You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're pressing on the air brake. That's no brake is there. You're like, whoo! I feel that way every time I drive with Kathleen. But anyway, so Listen. Listen. I'm going to pay for that. But anyways, okay, so let's recognize that fear is at the heart of control. So, so how, how is this going to work out? Fear, controlling everything, the outcome, I've got to control this. And the result of that is anxiety. Now, it's okay to plan. It's okay to work hard at things. But we must be open to the fact that God is ultimately in control, and I have to trust him. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 91. I love Psalm 91. So I'm just going to read Psalm 91 to you because I just love it. And it just talks about how we can trust in God. Um, I have this in your notes. So just even if you read it later or maybe maybe this week, you say, Pastor, I'm just struggling with control and fear and these things. And maybe maybe just dedicate every day this week reading Psalm 91. Every day, wake up and say, Every day this week, I'm going to read Psalm 91. And let this word just saturate your heart, saturate your mind to help you to see that God is in control. So let's see what the psalmist says here. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is what? My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely you will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. Isn't that a great picture? I love the Psalms. I like this one right here. He, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalk in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right side, but it will not come near you. Somebody say amen. Woo, that's preaching right there. Verse eight. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make, if you make, if you make here, that's, that's our job. If you make the most high your dwelling, 
even the Lord who is my refuge. Then no harm will befall on you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion, the serpent, because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. Gosh, if that, if that doesn't give you peace and security today, I don't know what else will. I will deliver and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Somebody say, amen. That is read that every day this week. And I hope that gives you encouragement. One of the things I enjoy doing is I enjoy um, reading about history, watching documentaries about his history. I really geek out over these things. Um, I, I read the book years ago, 1776 by David McCullough, just a, a great book on that particular year of the history of the beginning of our nation. The book was fascinating of all the things that happened in that year. And what was interesting about that is during the War of Independence, there were many stories about George Washington, our first president's trust in God. And there are many things that I just don't think we hear about today that are suddenly covered today. So I want to read some of these to you. And there are many interesting stories from close friends, close friends that observed this of George Washington's dependence on God. There was an article I read in the Cambridge Theolo Theological Seminary, and, and this is what it said. It said, during the harsh winter of 1777 and 1778, when the American troops were suffering at Valley Forge, Washington, now this is coming from his friends. They said, Washington could often be found upon his knees within the woods, lying the cause of his bleeding country at the throne of grace. In the prayer room of the Capitol, there's a stained glass window of a kneeling figure of George Washington and behind him a prayer from the very first verse of Psalm 16 is etched. Preserve me, O Lord, for in thee I do put my trust. Washington was observed by his troops, his officers, and various civilians to regularly pray in his tent as well as secluded groves. One of the interesting things that happened in 1776, I love this story. Some of you may know about it, but let me share it with you, that I loved about the providence of God and the hand of God, of God protecting our nation at the very beginning, uh, was the Battle of Long Island. And it became known as the Fog that saved the army. Now, the battle happened soon after signing the Declaration of Independence. The battle was under the leadership of Washington, and without divine intervention, the war for independence could have easily been lost. So on August 27th, 1776, the British attacked Brooklyn on three fronts. And there were many American casualties, and this basically would have probably ended the war if they would have killed everybody. One thing the British did was outflank the Americans, which caused, to, which caused them to be off guard. And so the, the, this was the neat thing that happened. What kept the Americans from total defeat and losing the war all 
together. There's a couple really neat things of the providence of God that happened. One of them is there were 400 soldiers from Maryland, woo woo, from Maryland who defeated just enough to keep the British from completely devastating them. So just these 400 men kept them back just enough from completely devastating them. And so what this allowed the Americans to do was to retreat. And so with the British commander, William Howe, he held his position. And for some reason, he didn't advance. For some reason, he didn't advance, which would have decimated them. He didn't advance. Instead, what he did was he dug trenches uh, around the Continental Army and assumed. I mean, what happens when you assume? I won't say any more. But when you assume, he assumed that the American army would just surrender. So William Howe also assumed that the British ships would be able to sail and cut off the American retreat by cutting off their route. Now what happened is the ships never came because the wind was blowing in the wrong direction because of a storm. 400 guys from Maryland holding them back. All of a sudden there's a storm wind going the wrong way. So they couldn't sail. Now here's what happened. Washington, because of this was able to secretly by boat, get 9,000 men to safety. Now here's the problem. One problem. There's a big problem here. When the sun rose, he did not get everyone. And so these men would have either been killed or captured. What happened next? was incredible. The wind died down to nothing and a thick fog settled over the region. So thick, the men said you could not see anything. And so through that thick fog, the rest of the men were saved under the blanket of the fog, which basically rescued the Continental Army from complete defeat and maybe the hands of the British. So when the fog lifted, the Continental Army was G-O-N-E, gone. And the British were amazed. (laughs) What just happened? This was a cakewalk. And through these providences of the hand of God, they were rescued. Now, Dave McCullough said it well in his book. He said, without a few hundred soldiers, a lack of wind, and some heavy fog, there may have never been a United States of America. Now I would say it was the hand of God. Let me just say this. Who do you trust? Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. I'm going to put my trust in the Lord, my God. I don't care how devastating your life looks right now or how much against the wall you may think, or that you're at your wits end. I'm here to tell you that our God rescues, that our God is faithful. Maybe not on our timetable, but God is there and we can trust him and we know that he's faithful. See, sometimes we don't know how things will work out, but I have to know that God is in control even when it seems like things aren't. I believe that George Washington just thought this, you know, at one point, said, this is, and all these things happen by the hand of God. And so, so we have to, we have to, we have to say that God may, maybe, maybe it's at the last minute that you show up, but I need to trust you. 
Here's what I want you to trust about God. Don't trust your situation, but trust the character of God. The character of God never changes. When your life seems like it's upside down, things aren't going the right way, what's going to happen or how are we going to pay this bill? How is this going to work? I want you to trust the character of God. And I want to give you three things I put in your notes. Here are the three things of the character of God that never changes. The omniscience of God never changes. God is all knowing. That's the first thing. God is all knowing. That's what omniscience means. God, the character of God, he's all knowing. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in your life, and he cares what's going on in your life. He knows. Then there's the omnipotence of God. This means that God is all powerful. Just as, wasn't worship good this morning? It was just, man, the, the, boo, the presence of God was right here, and we're just singing about the power of God. There's none that is greater than him. I love singing about the character of God. That just gets me excited. It encourages my spirit. God is all powerful. That's his omnipotence. And then, and then omnipresence, that God is everywhere. Did you ever think, like, how does God know my need? There are so many other people around the world that have so much greater issues. Does God really care about me? Can I just say this? He does. He knows your need. This is why God is omnipresence. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's ever, he knows your need. He knows exactly what you're going through. And I know sometimes you feel lost in the crowd and maybe God doesn't care, but he does. This is the character of God. And so when I'm going through a difficult time, I've got to, I can't go into my situation because that's going to cause me to lose faith. That's going to cause me to lose hope. I've got to rely on the character of God, knowing that he's all these things that I can trust him. Psalms 147, five says, great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has what? No limit. His understanding has no limit. I love the prayer of David. In First Chronicles 29, when he's blessing Solomon, Solomon is going to take over the kingdom and eventually build the temple of God where his presence would reside. And it says, yours, Lord, here's David's prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all wealth and honor comes from you. You are the ruler of all things in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Amen. See, when I lose my faith and when I feel overwhelmed and when I feel like, God, do you hear me? Or when I feel like, how is this going to work out? I got to go back to the character of God, knowing that he's all these things, that I can trust him. Don't put your trust in your situation. Put your trust in the character of God, which never changes. Let me just finish with this story. How many have ever read Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boone? Love that book. If you've never read it, you need to read it. Great, great, great book. Corey Ten Boone, family, uh, lived during World War II. And in the Netherlands, they they hid Jews from... Nazi-occupied Netherlands during the time from, from, from the genocide that happened to the Jews during World War II. And uh, Corrie ten Boone writes about her story and how their family hid these Jews and how they end, uh, their family, Corrie and her sister, actually ended up in a concentration camp. Dad eventually died of tuberculosis. Just very tragic what, what happened. She made it through, 
uh, Corrie Ten Boom t- uh, into the 80s, in fact, I think it's when she died, but she made it through and was able to share a testimony of what God did. I love her stories, and her quotes are unbelievable of her trust in God. And I love this one thing that Corrie Ten Boom says. There was a time where she was fearful. And her dad had such an impact in her life about how to trust God. Now, how many know if you're hiding Jewish people in your house and you're nervous about the Gestapo coming at any moment, and they know that basically if they're caught, they're going to die. How many know you got to trust God through that situation? And she learned to trust God through these situations that they put themselves in because that's what God called them to do, the right thing. And so she had questions. And one time she asked her dad, she was very fearful and she was a little worried. And she asked, you know, her father, dad, what, what are we going to do? And I'm scared. And this is what her dad told her. Her dad said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket for the train? When do I give you your ticket for the train? And she goes, well, father, just before we get on the train. He goes, Exactly. And I think these are some wise words from her dad. And so these wise words from her father, he says this, exactly, Corey. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him. When the time of need comes, you will look into your heart and you will find the strength you need just in time. And through that experience the Holocaust and what they did in the concentration camps. Corey later writes this. When Jesus takes your hand, he keeps you tight. When Jesus keeps you tight, he leads you through life. When Jesus leads you through life, he brings you home safely. That's trust. That's trust. That's why Paul can confidently write these words through all the things Paul went through, shipwrecked, almost stoned to death, giving his life for Christ as a martyr. Paul could write this in Romans 8.28, in Romans 8.28, for we know, it's not that we, we think so. No, we know. I know without a shadow of a doubt. I, I know. And we know, everybody say that, and we know. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to to his purpose. What area of your life are you lacking trust? That's the question that we need to ask today. And here's what we're going to do. As we take communion as a family, let me just say communion is open to all. You don't have to be a member of our church. Take communion. You have to be a member of God's family and you can put your trust in God just as we pray. Take communion. Enjoy it. Trust God. Here's what we're going to do as we take communion today. See, Jesus trusted himself into the hands of the Father to say, God, I'm going to trust your will with my very life to give myself as a sacrifice. And here's, here's what the Word of God says. Look up here for just a minute. We're going to take a minute. Just look up here for just a second. The Hebrew says, for joy, the joy set before him, Jesus endured the shame and the scorn of the cross because he knew what it was going to mean for you and I. So Jesus trusted his father, not my will be done, but your will be done because he knew the hope and the joy and the salvation that it would eventually bring you and I. Here's what I want you to do today. Always remember this, 
that God has a far better place for every single one of us. That God is eventually leading us all home to be at his son's side. Forever to be with him. And that the things that we traverse through here in this world, am I allowing those things to rob me of the joy that God has placed before me as I wait for heaven? Those are the things that are going to help you get through this world. Put your hope in the character of God and what Jesus Christ has done for you. And so as we take communion today, you may be in a point in your life, you're like, man, this is a big trust thing for me. And this has got to happen. And this has got to happen. I've been, you know, I've been losing sleep over this at night. And how is this thing going to work out? And so as we take communion today, I literally want you to lay that thing at Christ's feet and say, Jesus, I cast my burdens at your feet because I know that you care for me. And I can trust you that you're faithful. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. I, I don't know when it happened, but God is faithful. God is holding the ticket. God is holding the train ticket. And he'll give it to you just when you need it. So the point is God saying, do you trust me? Do you trust in me? In God, we trust. So I hope every time you look at currency and you look at that in God, we trust, it takes on a whole new meaning for you. And that would be something that would be dear to your heart, something that you would hold on to every single day. Listen, the walk with Christ is a hard one. It's not easy all the time. And God says, be faithful. Continually immerse yourself in God's word. Continually trust him. Continually pray through those things. God is faithful to speak to your hearts. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I'm just encouraged. I was encouraged today through the worship, just reminding myself of how great God, isn't that true? And then through great preaching, can I, amen? Right? No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. But listen, it's God's word that encourages us, right? So when you read God's word, you're encouraged. It's not, it's not the spokesperson. It's God's word. That's what speaks. That's why you're encouraged. It's not me. It's not the particular song. It's not the worship band. It's what we're singing about and who, who we're singing to that makes all the difference in the world. And so cling. Let your anchor be in Christ Jesus. So as we take, um, as we, as we take, communion today um, I want you to pray and say God what is that thing I'm struggling with and do I need, I, what area of my life am I lacking trust and let me trust you because I know you're faithful put your trust in Christ who's provided everything for you that you'll ever need through the cross and so as we celebrate communion we're remembering that Jesus you trusted your father with your life that you shed your blood for me that we're remembering your body that was given for us, the blood that was shed, because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our sins. So you created this relationship with God the Father that we could never create within ourselves, no matter how good we, we try to be or how religious we try to act. We could never bridge that chasm. Jesus' blood through the cross bridged the chasm of our broken relationship with God because of our sin. And now, and now, and now, the Bible says, we can boldly approach the throne room of grace with confidence because of Christ, with confidence, knowing that God will hear us and help us and give us hope. Isn't that good news? So let's pray. And the ushers are going to come and we're going to serve you. We'll take communion at the end as a family. So just hold on and take communion. We'll take it together as a family at the end. The worship team will lead us in a song and we'll just glorify Christ and what he's done for us. So Lord, we just, as we bow our hearts before you, God, I just pray for our church family.
I pray for any individual here that has not trusted you with their life, that they would do that now. And I thank you that anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that you will transform them through your Holy Spirit, that you will forgive them through Christ's name, and that their sins can be forgiven through the precious blood of Christ. Thank you for that wonderful news. And for us that are, are have some trust issues, God, in some area of our life, Lord, I pray that our trust would be in you today, that we trust in your character, not in our situation. That, God, you would give us the peace we need as we lay our burdens at your feet today. So, God, reassure us, reassure us, reassure us of your presence and your goodness and your faithfulness that you will see us through. You never disappoint. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And you will never leave us or forsake us. That's the promise that we we just attach our lives to today as we immerse ourselves in you, Jesus, in your presence. So bless this time and this communion as we take it together. Bind our church together, Lord, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We're